Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, filmmakers, conservationists, editors, writers, and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts. It is a chance to hear their stories, personal journeys, and how they carve a niche to make a living. The podcast focuses on the role that photography and filmmaking plays in helping to raise awareness about the global plight of species. And despite the depressing statistics, we look for solutions of what we can all do to contribute to conservation. All my guests give up their precious time and are incredibly generous in spirit. So this is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This week, my guest is Steve Batchel. Steve is a naturalist, author, presenter, conservationist, and explorer. He recently hosted Expedition with Steve Batchel, a TV series showing Steve and his crew venture into uncharted territory in pursuit of new discoveries and world firsts. Steve is best known as a presenter for the BBC series Deadly 60 and has presented a whole host of other flagship nature-themed shows, including The Really Wild Show, The Lost Land series, and he's also made shows for National Geographic and the Discovery Channel. When he's not in front of camera, he's supporting many charities and inspiring kids to get outside and engage with nature. Unsurprisingly, Steve has encountered many dangerous situations, falling from great heights while rock climbing, being stung hundreds of times by bullet ants and free diving with great white sharks. Yet this is his comfort zone, where he's most at home. And he says he feels a lot safer on these adventures than walking down a city street at night. Steve and I caught up during the COVID-19 lockdown to talk about new adventures with his family and adapting to life with three children under the age of two. We talk about his new Facebook Live series and why young people give him hope for a better future. This podcast can be heard on a number of platforms, Acar, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course iTunes. That's where we direct people to leave reviews. It's the biggest platform. So if you enjoy this, please, please, please leave a review on iTunes. Share it with your friends and loved ones so we can get these stories out there to as wide an audience as possible. That's enough from me. Here's Steve Backshaw. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, especially as you have three kids under the age of two. And I was thinking, are you mad? <laughs> right now, you know, you've, you, you love a challenge, but this surely must be the biggest challenge of your life. Do you know what, Matt? I've come and locked myself in uh, in their nursery. Helen's looking after them uh, out in the in the lounge. And if, if you hear these far off wailing sounds, it's not that we've got someone kind of locked in our basement or anything sinister like that. It it will be one of the three of them kicking off. But yeah, you're right. You're completely right. It is it is the biggest of adventures, um, but. It, it does make lockdown feel all the more claustrophobic, having three screaming voices in your in your house. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about how you know, in, in, there, you know, some of the few positives to come out of this is you know spending more time with family and connecting more. But perhaps you you need a little bit of breathing space. Well, both you and well, Helen do. I guess, no, imagine. I mean actually, actually that is that is totally true. Uh, so you know, I, I was discussing this with you the last time I saw you. You know, when when Logan, my my eldest, was born, I was doing uh, ten expeditions in a year, 
And I never had more than two weeks at home. I had trips of six weeks away when he was just a few months old. And I missed everything. I missed his first smile, his first laugh. I missed, you know, all those kind of things that are so important. And it, it cut me. It really cut me. And I would be away on expeditions right now if it wasn't for, for lockdown. So instead, I've been given the opportunity of, of experiencing all those things and actually being a dad, which is great. I mean, yeah, I have to worry about how on earth I'm going to pay my mortgage, but it, it's, it, it, is, it is nice to be afforded the opportunity to, you know, to do the dad thing. How's, how's it working out for you? That's great. Yeah, I mean, very, very much the same. It's, um, and on one hand, it's a, it's, it's a total joy and you're not missing anything. You know, our daughter would be in childcare a couple of days a week and with the grandma. Um, so, you know, on one hand, it's very difficult with productivity and getting work done. And on the other hand, it's, yeah, you're, you're not missing anything. It's just, it's just a real delight. So, yeah, good and bad. But this is, um, you know, we've got a, we've got a tight um, schedule here. I want to get right on and, and actually ask what you're doing currently because it's you know it's really exciting and you know people lots of people are adapting uh, to this life under lockdown and you've taken to Facebook live and you're doing live homeschooling lessons so can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that and we can get this out there and hopefully get more people watching well that'd be amazing yeah so uh, I guess it was kind of born out of early on um, I, my, my sister works with kids who have cancer with the NHS. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law both are doctors in ICU. They're all on the front line. They're all doing big things to, to you know, try and, you know, make a difference. And I, I found myself feeling for the first time in my life, utterly powerless, utterly pointless and thinking, what on earth can I do? And, and um, Helen actually was the one who suggested, first of all, well, why don't you just start doing wildlife homeschooling and um i I started it up uh the week of lockdown or the week before lockdown and i've i've been doing it ever since so i've done about 15 i think so far and the response has been amazing so uh i frantically set up a youtube channel and a week later had twenty thousand followers the the biggest the biggest um, Q&A so far had 400,000 households in about 20 different countries tuning in. And the best thing has been the volume of questions and the quality of questions. So we'll get 40,000 odd questions in one half hour uh, live Q&A. And they're from kids as young as three and four uh, and all the way up to, you know, graduates asking everything from you know complex things about ecology and habitats through to simple questions about how how insects work and how spring is happening and how lockdown is affecting wild animals and it, it's been it's been a joy the, the the tech side of things i have to admit has been a real <laughs> struggle for an old git like me um <laughs> i mean I, I, I this is the most banal thing ever to be talking about on your podcast but for the first couple of weeks um I all of a sudden felt like felt like my dad. I, I felt like I was looking at <laughs> and wanting to hit it with a hammer because it just nothing worked. You know, I've been doing Facebook lives for for years now, but um, yeah. all of a sudden the uh, the bandwidth was just stripped down to nothing. Nothing worked. I had to do everything through a whole bunch of restreaming services and broadcasting apps, and uh, I've got my own broadcast studio now set up at home all of which I had to do without anyone doing tech support, Matt. It was a nightmare. Unbelievable. And I bet, you know, it, 
in many ways it's the same with my daughter Imogen at home probably Logan could help you out of that stuff now with kids how quickly they get a hold of the tech so, you know, we, we had we had one hard and fast rule. I, I read uh, a bunch of peer-reviewed papers about uh, brain development in, in youngsters. Um, and basically, they were all saying, oh, yeah, every baby's different. Every family's different. The only hard and fast rule that I read through all of that stuff was no screen time before two. And Hells and I did an amazing job of keeping him away from screens, from televisions, from, from laptops. But the last couple of weeks, I have to admit, we have we have folded. <laughs> we, um, we played him. We played him Lady and the Tramp the other day when he was having just like massive meltdowns. We thought we're gonna we're gonna play him an, an old fashioned Disney film, and <laughs> it was lovely just seeing him being absolutely spellbound and crucially, and crucially absolutely silent. <laughs> yeah, I know, and you can just let go of that. You know, give yourself, cut yourself some slack as a parent, and. You know, knowing the grand scheme of things, that it, it's going to be all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 absolutely it, isn't it? The the the, the it words, is, of, the words of Tom Hanks himself. You know, it, all this, all this will pass. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's true. Sometimes I throw back to kind of, you know, uh, more more sort of like kinder times is is a good thing and it was certainly a very very nostalgic experience for, for all of us but you know what i, I think i think the, the 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 best thing about if there is anything good about this period of lockdown that we've had is that for the first time in a long time um we have all got to experience spring properly experientially right. minute by minute on our own patch uh, as you know I'm, I'm lucky enough to live on the on the river on the thames and it's been a lot of years since I've been able to look at the calendar and go, oh, hang on. Wow. The swallows mm-hmm. are here two weeks early this year. And oh, my goodness, you know, the, the mayflies have had their first eruption um, three weeks earlier than they had it last year. And there's, you know, two two sets of greaves just nesting around the corner. There's nest, there's greaves still courting over there. And, you, you know, to to kind of in the way that I always used to start noting down the way that that nature works to a calendar and just feeling so connected to it and enjoying it because of, I guess, apart from anything else, seeing it through Logan's eyes, um, you know, helping, helping Helen to experience it on a, on a slightly different level and just, just feeling utterly connected to it. Isn't that wonderful? And you're totally right. This time of year, it is a complete joy. And I'm having the same experience with my daughter, feeling like I'm reconnecting by trying to teach her and then also understanding how little I know, you know, when she's asking me, what's this and what's that? But it's great. And, you know, just moving on briefly onto that, you know, big chunk of your broadcasting career has really been kid focused and I wondered you know was this a a conscious decision is this something you kind of fell into obviously you did the really wild show many years ago but you know with the deadly 60 and now the the live homeschooling you know what's is is that just a natural driver to you to want to educate kids um it it started as a pragmatic thing so I I started off my career with the with the National Geographic I did uh five years nearly five years for them uh, as adventure and residence, and never made a single kids program. Um, and right. then I had a friend who recommended me to the Really Wild Show. Went over there and started doing completely self filmed segments for them, uh, and sort of gra- gravitated to becoming a, a full pre- presenter alongside Nick Baker and Michaela Strachan. But even though that was, as I said, just pure and simple, something that I fell into, it became 
instantly obvious to me that while a lot of the other you know presenting stuff i do essentially is, is pointless you know it's self-aggrandizing it might be entertaining but <laughs> it has no actual purpose the kids stuff really makes a difference and it you know it's going to sound like you know having, having told you that my sister you know works with kids who have cancer that i'm just trying to make my my life appear to have some kind of point but um, <laughs> the 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 point is with working uh, in this kind of area with kids is you're talking to an audience that hasn't made up their mind how they feel about the world yet and you have the right. opportunity to switch them on to the natural world and to to change their lives and if that sounds pompous you know some of the live um the, the live dates that i did when we were doing we were doing deadly fourteen thousand kids would turn up on a day and you see fourteen thousand kids all bright-eyed, energetic, enthusiastic, wanting to find out about the natural natural world, wanting to be inspired, and it's a powerful thing. And I, I you know, I, I encountered an enormous and still do an enormous amount of snobbery about you know the fact that I I keep doing kids uh, television alongside my my sort of adult output, but it's the most important stuff I do by a country mile, and it, you know it. To, to be frank, doesn't pay the bills, but but it you know I, I'm getting hundreds of mails from um, from kids who are like, yeah, this is it, this is what I've been looking for, and this is what I'm going to do with my life, and nothing beats that. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I, I I really hope that I'm given the opportunity. I mean, I'm you know I'm getting pretty ancient now, and uh, I, I don't know quite how much longer kids are going to want to be watching me on television I, I hope that i will be succeeded by many other young excited enthusiastic people who are you know in this area but until that happens i, I really hope that i'm given the opportunity because it's so so important and must be hugely rewarding for for you as well i mean i know you kind of mentioned your sister and doing you know important jobs but of course inspiring kids and reaching those kind of numbers is is quite a big deal and i think especially as Today, it's kind of easy to dismiss the youth, you know, as being addicted to devices and, and not connected with nature. And, you know, when I interviewed Chris Packham in the last podcast, he talked about not seeing a kid in the 13 years uh, that he'd been living in the new forest in the woods and how sad that was. And, you know, I think over the years, I was curious to find out, you know, what you've seen and what you've learned. And that is not seen... my experience. That is absolutely not my experience at all. I mean, I, I, I know that that exists. And I, I know from, from my friends that there are, you know, shed loads of kids who are, you know, plugged into their Xboxes, but that's not my experience at all. I mean, I'm lucky enough to work with a lot of uh, young people's charities and young people's organizations and, and also to just be connected to the kind of kids that are into this stuff. But what I see are hundreds of thousands of young people for whom wildlife is their everything. And, you know, it might not be the kind of the, the, the slightly geeky stuff that you and I might go and do of an, of an evening. It, you know, it might, it might have to have a slight area, uh, uh, sorry, a slight edge of adventure or cool about it that, that we adults might not necessarily need, but that, that deep, deep fascination and connection to nature is something that, that I see on a, on a massive scale and it's inspiring to be around. You know, there, there is nothing that beats seeing a young person who has just watched Sparrowhawk make a call for, uh, kill for the first time. There is, there is nothing that beats uh, a young person who's just seen two badger cubs messing around in a, in a set near their home that they didn't even know existed. 
there is there is nothing that beats that dirt under the fingernails poo smell in your nostrils kind of sensation <laughs> that, that young people get from the natural world and i am lucky enough that i get to experience that through them over and over and over again and it is the best thing about my career that's awesome and moving on from that into your life as you know when i'm sort of doing the research and you know I, I, we met last year and i paid bit more attention to you I've obviously known you from tv for a, a long time but you know looking at your life I mean it you know if you condense it it looks hugely glamorous and all the awards <laughs> and, TV and you know going out there but of course I think it's the same in, in nature you know I mainly interview nature photographers and filmmakers on on here and it does look like a glamorous life but you know we all know that that's not entirely true and I think it's always good to ask you know people like you about the pitfalls because of course especially now with having three young children um, and Helen, you know, you must miss them dearly. And you know, you're going on all these adventures and like you say, looking really cool and self-aggrandizing, but it also must be hugely challenging as well. Yeah. I, I, I cannot and must not ever complain about the, the things in my life that, that I find <laughs> difficult because, you know, I, I, can, I can imagine, particularly now when everyone's on lockdown, me going, oh, it's so awful. I, I have to go to these amazing countries and spend weeks away from my family. And you can just imagine the, uh, the, the responses from people. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, it, has, it has not been an issue right through until I got married and had, had kids. And all of a sudden, it, it really, really tugs on your heartstrings. Being away on long trips, particularly when you're... Um, you know, when you haven't got any communication with the outside world, um, is is really heartbreaking. But I'm, you know, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world, I, and I I know that. Uh, and so, you know, I I don't complain, or I try very hard not to complain. I think that um, you know that there's there are very small elements of my life which have glamour to them, and inevitably I am total fish out of water in them uh, anyone who watched me doing strictly come dancing will be able to uh, <laughs> agree to that um you know i think that i am someone who is very lucky in that they get to do what they what they love for a living if i if i wasn't being paid by television to you know go out and watch my red kites interacting or to go on expeditions to places around the world that people have never been to before those would be the things I would be dreaming of doing or I would be paying to go and do myself you know so uh it it is it is it's the best and I would say that the the elements where I have to get on a suit and tie and, and you know go and speak at some fancy gathering up in London or go and appear on a, on a talk show. Those, those are more the pitfalls than the moments spent, <laughs> spent in the mud and the mosquitoes being eaten by leeches. That's the best part of the job. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you mentioned yourself about getting on whatever, being an, being an old codger. And, and the, you know, the idea as well of these... Did I, did I use taking... the word codger? Did I, did I use well, the word codger? Been... <laughs> but we'll have to go back. Maybe you didn't. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're, you're you're still in you're still in great shape. I mean, you're you know you were supposed to be on. Oh, are, you, are we are we are we backtracking now, Matt? Are we back? Are you, are you, getting, the, are you getting the spade out, starting to dig yourself out of the hole? <laughs> you said that to me privately when we were driving up to the foxes that night. That's where it came from. <laughs> but I mean, one of the things that I was, you know, this, it's a cliche, but especially when you've got kids, you want to take less risks. And I don't know about you, but I mean, 
when I take Immy up to the swings, I get on a swing and I'm, I, I, I need to get off after a few seconds because I feel sick. I just don't have that kind of tolerance anymore as a, as a, as a 43 year old. So I don't know about you going on these expeditions and, you know, are you going to take those risks that you did kind of pre kids? Yeah, that's a really, it's a really, really tough one. Um, I, I think that potentially I'm coming towards the end of that stage in my career anyway. Um, as, as I sort of indicated, I'm not entirely sure that people are going to want to be watching me hanging off ropes alongside waterfalls or, you know, freediving alongside great white sharks when I've got a massive beer belly. Uh, it, you know, it's, <laughs> I think that that stage of my career is is kind of is coming to an end naturally anyway. Um, in terms of, of risk, I I definitely assess risk in a totally different way now to to how I mm. ever did before. But then again, an awful lot of the things that I do in my career that people would consider to be risky, I have been doing for such a long time that I I, I perceive them in a different way. I feel much more threatened and at far more risk in a big city than I ever do diving with sharks. And people might think that that is, that is hyperbole. It's not, it's absolutely true. That's what, that's where my comfort zone is. So that's how I feel most happy. Put me in a big city and I, I, you know, I, I, I do feel intimidated and I feel out of my depth. The, the, the kind of the question about how I will deal with risk in the future I think it's more going to become an option, <clears throat> a sort of question when I start thinking about doing things with the family, because, you know, like, as I just indicated, I, I have absolutely no problem with going and diving with tiger sharks and bull sharks. But I did those things with Helen uh, last year, I think. And it was a whole different ball game because all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking about her health and, the, you know, the the sort of the outcome yeah. for, for the for the most important person in, in my life and all of a sudden it was a different ball game um so when i start thinking about whether i'm going to allow logan to to come out herping and you know catching venomous snakes ugh, oh that that just that sends a <laughs> chill up my, my spine and you know kind of makes me makes me think nope nope i'm, I'm just gonna actually let's just plug him into the xbox at least it's safe <laughs> that's hilarious Steve, we are losing species faster than ever now. And of course, we know about your passion for the natural world and what you've been doing as a broadcaster and an author and writer and wearing all these different hats. But one of my questions asked many of my guests is, how do you re remain hopeful in this time? You know, with the biodiversity crisis, with the climate crisis and you know, as an educator as well, you know, what do you tell people about the solutions and, and also your own kids bringing them up in this world? What are your, what are your fears and how do we mitigate against all the negative news? So where I get my hope is, is from, from young people. I, I, this has almost become my mantra. I'm sorry if I've said it to you before, but I think that this period in time is going to be looked back on in the future alongside the great civil rights movements of the past. I think the the wave of young people who have decided to take on the planet's problems and make them their own is, is jaw-dropping. I have had the opportunity of speaking in Parliament on a, on a dozen occasions alongside kids, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, who are better informed, more eloquent, and more impassioned than I 
could ever dream of being. And, you know, Greta gets all the press, but there are a thousand Gretas. I mean, I could reel off, uh, I could reel off a hundred names from this country alone who are just as impassioned and more eloquent of anything, more driven. And they, they are frankly intimidating. They make me feel that I have utterly wasted my life, uh, but they are the future. And the, the, the thing about messaging that you, you hinted there, that's really important because um, they are constantly um, assaulted by the press in exactly the same way as, as Greta has been. The second any one yeah. of these these young people comes out and drives a campaign or or you know starts some serious moves towards change, I, I guarantee that the newspapers will say, "Oh, their parents are middle class and they're privileged," sure, and, yeah. uh, or, or they'll or they'll say, "Oh, they've got pushy parents who are driving them into doing it." Well, uh, it, it's it's nonsense, and for the most part. I think it's driven by Daily Mail journalists who are all sat at home, kind of feeling feeling like they're they're being bossed and bettered by teenagers, and I can understand yeah. their impulse. But the truth is, these youngsters have got it going on, and they are they are going to make a massive difference. And you know, you talked about my role as an educator. I'm I'm not educating them. I I couldn't even you, you know. I, <laughs> Half half the time, I, I did a um, when we did the uh, the 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 last, the last um, climate uh, connection in in Parliament when was it? I think it was last summer, um, and I was I was speaking there alongside some youngsters. I didn't even understand half the things they were saying. They were they were re- <laughs> they were they were talking about elements of uh, of climate change that I've never even heard of, and referencing scientific papers that I haven't read. You know, so That's I brilliant. I am I am proud to count some of them as friends uh, and to be you know a part of the movement but i i sure as hell i'm not educating them well maybe this kind of negates my next question because you know you you're being very humble i think steve and you have so far had an, a pretty incredible career and you probably I, I would say that you're qualified you know to to give advice and i do get a lot of young people listening to these podcasts and they're coming from all sorts of areas in natural history, whether it's you know filmmaking, uh, presenting, or even you know editing magazines. But you know, people wanting to get into a you know a career of broadcasting or presenting now, where do they start? I mean, what advice can you give them? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one. I think that the the landscape is very very different to how it was when I got started. So if I'd been asked this question. 15 years ago, I would have said, go out, get yourself a biology degree. If you can stand it, then get a PhD and get yourself yeah. a research, get yourself a research job at one of the uh, independent production companies, or if you're really lucky at the BBC Natural History Unit. And that was that was the route in. It wasn't my route in, but it was the route in for Miranda Krzysztofnikov, Ellie Howard Harrison, Nick Baker, Mike Dilger, uh, even even Chris himself, although he came in through um, through camera work. Uh, that's what I would have said. 
that that is really not the way in now. I mean, it's more like what you're doing, really. It's more people going out and making their own films, people having their own YouTube channels, people, uh, you know, going out and coming up with ideas for conservation initiatives uh, and effectively becoming influencers. I hate the word, but that that is the number one way that young people are taking control of the media. I think it's really interesting, actually, that, um, you know, come come this this whole lockdown scenario, the the BBC, our national broadcaster uh, and one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful media organisations in the world, uh, set to with providing homeschooling uh, for for young people. It has just kicked off. What are we now? Six, seven weeks into lockdown. Um, Yeah. even I was doing it on YouTube in the first week, but there were there were there were far more you know radical, free thinking young people who were doing it way before I was. That ability to to react and to move with the times and to say, oh, I've got an idea for something. Actually, I think that the most important part about this problem is X, Y, and Z, and have it uploaded within an hour is mm. is something which uh, traditional media struggles with and young people understand like it's breathing. And I, I think that new media, social media, YouTube are, are the way in. And it's all down to finding your own way of telling a story, not necessarily adhering to the way that, that it's always been done, because it's incredibly innovative watching, uh, watching new media nowadays. But yeah, that that to me, and most of these young people I'm talking about to you who, who are, you know, I find so inspirational now, that's how they are getting their message across. They're, they're not appearing on Question Time. They've got their own YouTube channel with a million followers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the views, are, the views of, you know, some of these people are just staggering, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, they're, they're erudite, they are creative, and they are they are making a completely new form of, of, of media. And it's, yeah, I, I personally am just trying as hard as I can to grab onto their coattails and, and learn from them. <laughs> That's great. So Steve, we will slowly wrap this up. Um, and I've got two questions, if that's all right, from of course. Uh, the audience. Um, both young people, both age 10. First is a girl called Jasmine Amley. And her question is quite simple. What is the deadliest of the deadly animals? So uh, deadly has always been about animals being deadly in their world, not to us as human beings. That's really important. That's how, you know, we manage to feature dragonflies and kestrels. And if we ever do deal with things like great white sharks, we we explode the myths and we never, ever talk about them being dangerous to us as human beings because they're just not To me, so for the first time uh, on the last series of Deadly, I took the unusual step of saying that there was an animal that I thought was the number one, the most deadly. Uh, Actually, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll do it as a tease. see if you can guess it. So it is uh, truly (laughs) cosmopolitan. It occurs in every ocean from the Arctic to the Pacific. Uh, It is coordinated, sophisticated, big-brained, and able to, to... take on its prey in a baffling variety of different methods. Got any ideas? Oh, you know what? I'm going to 
be clever here and yeah. leave this what question for the audience. Oh, <laughs> cop out! <laughs> Massive cop. Well, it was it was it was the it was the orca. So so we we dived in the in the Arctic in Norway with uh, with orca. Uh, and having seen them feeding, um, coming ashore in Patagonia onto the sands to catch seals, having watched them down in Antarctica and uh, here in, 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 in British seas, uh, seen them breaching and taking on stellar sea lions in, in British Columbia, uh, and then finally to see them um, feeding on herring just metres away from us underneath uh, these dark Arctic seas was extraordinarily special. Yes, so to me, the most deadly of the deadly is or kindness orca the killer whale that's amazing and i read that yeah, yeah after after human beings the most widespread mammal is that correct uh that would be let me think, uh it would be pushed probably by the male sperm whale because they do get up into higher latitudes but but so yeah, say that again Steve. Just went a bit, went a bit oh sorry muffled. just went a bit muffled I said it would, right. it would probably be equaled by the male sperm whale, which gets up into right. possibly even higher latitudes. But otherwise, yes, that that is that is unquestionably true. Incredible. Right, final question. This is from Ollie Whitehouse, also ten years old. Um, so he says, marine life faces a number of threats: plastic pollution, tourism, overfishing, so on and so forth. So. How can we make a difference now as children? Um, loads and loads of different ways. Uh, I would say probably the the best is to uh, join one of the wonderful organisations like Surface Against Sewage, for example, who have a, a number of different practical plans from from beach cleans to uh, a whole variety of other things that you can get involved in. Um, there's, there's lots and lots of practical ways that you can go out and make a difference on your home patch. Or you can basically train yourself up to become a marine biologist and start solving those problems in a macro way. And if you want to do that, you, you have to get started now. You have to start learning about marine environments because, you know, there's at least 20,000 different species of fish. You, you could study nothing but gobies for the rest of your life and not know everything. So get started, <laughs> learn as much as you can. Um, get involved with a marine conservation organization and then maybe come up with a plan of your own. Steve, that is brilliant. We will pass that on. We will also have links um, to Surfers Against Sewage and the other organizations you mentioned. And thank you, thank you, thank oh, you. Oh, listen, for... I, I can't believe I yeah. can't believe I said that without mentioning uh, Bite Back, of which I am a patron, Shark Trust, of which I think I'm a, a president, M Manta Trust as well. I mean, there's there's so many organizations, the, the Marine Conservation uh, Society, all of these organizations, there's loads of them. It, it's it's not just Surface Against Sewage. <laughs> That's fine. That's absolutely fine. And you know, on the podcast page on my website, we will put all of those links Legend. in mentions so of people Legend. access them directly. And I've got a, a final question for you. Yes. Your hopes and wishes and dreams for the future. Personally, see so kind of winding down, maybe the adventure side, but you know, where do you see yourself in, in 10, 20 years? What's your fabulous outcome? I would love to be um, making programs with the family. Uh, and if if that's not an option, I think I'd like to be writing books, uh, probably in Cornwall, because Helen's, Helen's Cornish, uh, and mm. living living down by the sea, enjoying a wild life. 
<laughs> Steve, that's so great. And thank you a million times over for, for coming on in this busy period and really looking forward to seeing more of the live live homeschooling and when we're out of this when you're back on your adventures again we'll we'll catch up with you so thanks so much again for taking the time thanks matt really nice to speak to you many thanks to steve and of course to helen for looking after all the kids during that time what a top bloke for taking the time to talk his energy is infectious and he totally caught me out with that awkward question i tried to style it but failed anyway To find out more about Steve, head over to his page in the podcast section of my website. There you will find links to all his social media and his website, which features some great clips from some of his best-known series. And also, don't forget to check out his live homeschooling every Wednesday. That's current. It's going on right now, 9.30 a.m. on his Facebook page. Also, thanks to Ollie and Jasmine for the great questions. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, matthewmoran.com. You can catch up on social media. It's at Matt Moran Photo. Moran is M-A-R-A-N. That's both Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, it's forward slash Matthew Moran Photography. We'll be back again soon for more inspiring interviews. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.